You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number four, was it 470? Is that what we're on? <laughs> yes, 470. It's, it's it, after a while. He's, he's 400 and lost. 400 and something. <laughs> so I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. How are you? Hello. It's fine. Hey, today is uh, February 20th. Yeah, it's not fine here. It's horrible here today. Yeah. Well, we a, it, it's cold here. No, we had a big, we had two big storms. I, I saw. Britain this week. And the last one was by British standards a bit of a doozy. So, uh, and the weather's been lousy since then. Yesterday it was snowing. Today it's just horrible driving rain. Yep. Um, it's just not very pleasant, you know. Yeah, I do. I live in Michigan. Yeah. 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 Um, but today is um, Julie and my 19th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we don't, we don't have anything I, planned for today, really. Leanne and I have just a few years on you. We're coming up on our 22nd this year. Yeah. Well, we got married, you know, quite a few years after we moved in together and oh, was, you okay. know. I always know what wedding anniversary it is because it's the next year after. So Felix's book is uh, 18. Yeah. Which means this is our 19th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Anyways, enough of that. Let's talk about technology. And I'll start a little bit here. I've been playing a, believe it or not, a console video game. You don't hear me talking about playing those very often, even though I have all the systems. I just, you know, yeah. I, I, see, I tend to pick something up. I'll play it for like a half hour and I go, yeah. Yeah. And then I get real bored with it or it's too complex or what have you. But I've not, been. You're not a completist then. Because I'm no. the sort of person, I like to start playing a game and I tend to keep playing that until it's finished. And then I, oh, I will if I really enjoy the game. Yeah. But I, they lose me after a half hour. If I'm not hooked after a half hour, like, oh, I got to keep playing this, mm-hmm. I'll just quit. I just won't do it anymore. I've been wanting to play Halo Infinite because I heard how good it is. Yeah. But Cole is always home when I have the opportunity to play on the Xbox, and he's got the Xbox One, and he's almost always on it when I want to play. I thought you had two of them. I do, but you can't use the same account, and it's signed into my account. Now, I can oh. create his own account, but then he's not going to have access to all the games. Oh, I see. You can't share a Game Pass account? You can't play at the same time. You can share the account, but you can't play at the same time. Oh, right. And he's always playing Halo Infinite? No, he's playing GTA Five. All right, but you can't use the consoles at the same time, you mean? Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. And... You know, I guess if you took one of them offline, but he's always playing GTA online. Right. Not, you know, he'll he'll come tell me about a heist that took three hours, and and I can hear him in his bedroom laughing and giggling, and he's having a great time. So yeah. I I can't begrudge him of that, but I'm like, okay, buddy, it's been three hours. You need to, and and by the time I do that, I don't want to play a game either because now it's late in the day, or it's so, just so it is. We don't have that exact problem, but Charlotte. Um, is a bit of an iPad addict. She plays this game called Genshin Impact. She plays it all the time. Um, and she's also been suffering from headaches. Migraines. Sh- shocker. 
Yeah, so we've been kind of gently saying to her, say, look, you know, maybe you need to get a little bit more sleep and drink a little bit more water and perhaps use the iPad a little bit less. Yep. And at the weekends particularly, she'll wake up in the morning, she won't have any breakfast, she'll just sit in bed all morning playing Genshin Impact. Yeah, so, that's what happens with Cole. I'm I'm yeah. sure he's awake right now, but he hasn't come down to use the bathroom or to eat because he probably woke up and immediately turned on the game console. So I, I have had to implement um, some really pretty hard... Um, restrictions on her iPad using parental controls to try and prevent this problem um, and really ensure that she only limits the amount of screen time she uses every day on her iPad for this reason. Sometimes you got to do harsh things for the betterment of them. Exactly. And, you know, we've had... Uh, she's she's coming up to being a teenager now, so we've had the usual kind of, um, you know, teenage antics of the pouting. Oh, and yes. The, uh, it's not fair. And yep. All of that sort of thing, you know, and, and we've had the conversation about, you know, we're not doing this because we want to be mean to you. We're doing this because we believe this is for your own benefit and we'll, we'll help you be a better person and feel better about yourself and yeah. all of that. And it's not. But teenagers don't have a fully developed brain. Everything's no. emotion. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. the amount of injustice that a teenager has to suffer through their life is just ungodly. You wait. You wait till you get to your fifties. Then you know what some of the injustices in life yeah. can throw at you. Yeah. But um, I don't know whether the Xbox has that level of. Um, if it does, I've never it. explored it. I probably yeah. it might be a good idea. Um, but here, here's the thing. He's not socially awkward. Yeah. He's a straight A honor roll student. He's well behaved. He has his moments. Yeah. Every kid does. I, you know. What am I? He's not complaining that he's got headaches or anything. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's, he's stopping you from, from playing games on. Yeah, I know. That, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you so, so I've resorted to playing my PS Five like a beggar or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Now we're talking about injustices. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the games I want to play is on Xbox. I've been wanting to get back to GTA. Um, the you know the can't can't he play GTA online on the PS Five? Um. Yeah, probably, but it'd be a so, different user account, and that wouldn't help yeah. his progress. Uh, but okay. I started playing this game. Um, I kind of wanted to play Zelda again, The Legend of Zelda, the one on the uh, Switch. Yep. I think it's one of the greatest games ever made, and I don't say that lightly. I think it is. This is, this is the original one. Uh the the one that came out on Switch. Four years ago, Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. Yeah, uh, it's it's an open world game. You go and do, and you progress, and your character gets stronger. And yeah, it's not it's, quite like GTA. There's no gun violence or prostitutes. No, so. you. I mean, you can shoot goblins. <laughs> Just saying. And you could probably GTA. People think oh, open world. They think GTA. They think I'm going to go, go and get yeah. sold up. Yeah. <laughs> take out, take out Vinny Benetti. <laughs> So, you know, I kind of wanted to play that again, but I, I haven't really wanted to play on the Switch. Right. But didn't, don't you have the handheld version? I do. The, That's what I'm the saying. The little I, handheld one. What? The little handheld one they did. The yeah. The watch one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got that. I don't want to play that. Um, <laughs> Why not? I, well, because it's too small, to be honest. Um, but I wanted to play something on the PS5 that was Zelda-like. Okay, all right, I get you. So I did a you know a Google search, 
yeah. PS5 Zelda-like game. And I kept coming to the same game called um, Immortals Phoenix Rising. I've heard of it. <clears throat> played it. Yeah, well, I, I hadn't either. And, I, you know, I, I did a couple quick video views and some reviews. And they were all generally positive. They There are a few things they were a little bit critical of. But from the gameplay and the description, I thought, well, this is kind of exactly what I've been wanting to do wanting to play so i bought it it was like 15 bucks it was on sale and uh there was like three free big downloadable packs that you can download so i downloaded those and i just started playing it and this was oh i don't know a week and a half ago or so two weeks ago and i'm about 10 hours into it already which for me is is a an enormous amount of time to play any one game like that sure, yeah you know i get home from work i tired i gotta eat and it's getting close to going to bed already and you know but it's a really fun game it's really it's really good i i enjoy it for anybody interested in this game it's phoenix rising is spelled f-e-n-y-x yes um, and if you look at the reviews of it it does look really pretty um they, they call it somebody's called it here, breath of the isle it's very, very yeah. much inspired by Breath of the Wild. No question. If if Zelda Breath of the Wild didn't exist, this game would not exist. It takes right. pay, place in Greek mythology rather than its own organic thing. Uh, the The voice acting is okay. It's it's kind of clever. Um, you, I I'll give you an example. Last night I'm playing a. I, I, you can't say a level because it's an open world, right? Yeah. But I stumble across this. Uh, I, I don't know the terminology in the game, but it's like a real badass, and mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a warthog, but right. you go into this area and then you fight this thing, and it's really difficult, at least supposedly. <laughs> and the narrator, because there's these two narrators, Zeus and this other guy, and they talk back and forth, and they're like, "Whoa, this is the thing, and you know, this, this is going to be a hard fought battle," and you know, and I'm not. At 10 hours, you'd think I'd be pretty powerful. I'm really not. Um, so there's no way I'm going to beat this thing going head-to-head. I mean, it's got a health bar as long as my arm. Mm-hmm. But, but it's a warthog, so I just climbed onto a pillar and spent 20 minutes shooting it with arrows until it was dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I get this big achievement thing, and I'm like, oh, I just I just stood there and shot it a bunch of times. I must have yeah. shot it, you know, a thousand times with arrows until it was finally dead. Yeah, I remember um, playing through the uh, rebuild they did of Doom, the 2016 rebuild yeah, yeah. of Doom. And towards the end of the game, there's a couple of uh, bosses that are a little bit like that. You basically just have to run around and shoot them in a certain area to eventually kill them. Yeah. And it's just a bit of a grind. Yep. And the trick, well, the thing is, is that once, you, when you play enough, you figure out how to... They, all the bosses telegraph their attacks. Right, So yeah. you figure out which attack is coming, and then you, you can figure out the move you need to, to avoid, avoid the attack. And yeah. one of these, in one of these levels, there's kind of these columns. You can jump on the columns when it does at least half its attacks and avoid them. And then it just becomes, you know, well, how, how accurate can you be with the sniping and uh, making sure that you... That you don't take the because obviously it's one of these things where you get one big hit, then you you're almost right. dead, and then then you you know that's the end of it. But once you kind of get in the rhythm of it, then all of a sudden becomes something that that at the start became virtually impossible becomes you know relatively straightforward. 
Yeah, uh, this game is pretty fun. There's, you know, wildlife in the game, and most of the wildlife will just leave you alone. They don't care unless you mess with it. Yeah. But if the wildlife is next to, like, this dark portal, it kind of warps them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the ones that scare the crap out of me is when I cro- come across those these bears. Those sons of bitches are hard to kill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're pretty fast. So anytime I come across a uh, possessed bear, I try to go around it, which in life is generally a good rule. Uh, Avoid the possessed bear. (laughs) Just, yeah. I'm I'm Words of wisdom. (laughs) Just Smokey the Bear, along with his, uh, you know, fire campaign. Mm -hmm. In fact, thinking about it, Smokey the Bear is a possessed bear. Yeah, he kind of is. Maybe we shouldn't listen to Smokey the Bear. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of games, I think you're the one that put this... um, it's a Polygon website news article. Dark Souls Maker Fixing Dangerous PC Exploit. It's, it's, this stunned me because, you know, back in the day, when you were worried about get you having your computer hacked, it was about, you know, somebody would send you a bad PDF or a, an Excel file with some sort of macro in it, and they're obviously they're trying to encourage you to... Uh, they're trying to encourage you to open it and and potentially get malware onto your PC. And then, you know, recently we've heard about the uh, the infected malware links that get sent to uh, people in uh, city councils, and they end up encrypting all of their computers and having to pay Bitcoin to to have them unencrypted and all of that. So um, the problem we face nowadays is that uh, you know everything is a computer <laughs> and everything's running incredibly complicated software which means the what they call the threat surface for bugs being found in, in software that actually mean that the bad guys can get into a system has increased massively yes um and but this is the first time i've been aware that a game is a vector for actually um accessing somebody's system and uh, taking control of it i think there but, was a lot of shareware back in the 90s on windows pc that um you know, hackers would download because nowadays we call them apps. Back then, they were just fr- shareware. Yeah. You download it from the internet. You'd install it. You could play a level or two, and then if you liked it, you can buy it. Right? Yeah. So there was a lot of different places that you could download shareware on PC or Mac, and hackers or you know nasty people would download it modify it and upload it to another site and yeah people would just download it they they didn't know it it looked like the game yeah this is also i mean we're talking about the mid 90s when uh, a lot of software moved by floppy between people it didn't or cd or uh, memory six or something like that a lot of people didn't go and download them because downloading stuff over a modem or a slow dsl line was expensive um, and uh, so not it's not like nowadays when everybody's got access to or relatively Correct. a lot of people have access to you know infinite bandwidth high speed internet access um, and uh, and so yeah the, the, again if if somebody managed to get a crack or a, a, a hack into uh, into a piece of shareware and then then there was a good chance that would get passed around between uh, colleges and things like that but the problem the the flip side of that was that people weren't connected to the internet as much so the uh the risk in terms of uh killing your entire computer was considerably less you might get infected with something that might spread along a wire or um 
like a worm or something like that. But you generally often didn't get something that would kill your entire computer and encrypt all your data. There Whereas was nowadays a, you do. There was a, a Mac app, a shareware app called Disinfectant that if you were a Mac user in, say, 95 through, well, 93 through, I don't know, 20, well, 2001 or so. To, yeah, I was going to say, it's 2001 had, for me is, is after the iMac was generally available yep. and Wi-Fi came on the scene. All of a sudden, people start to do much more stuff by networking uh, and the web well, rather than swapping software among themselves. Yeah, but on, at this point, though, this is pre-OS ten. Yeah. And everybody had this app called Disinfectant, and it was updated quite a bit. And it was probably the best Mac application, if you will, to, to get rid of viruses. I remember I went to a job interview with a publisher, and I think I told you the story once. And I walk in, and everybody's using Mac, so I'm, I'm in heaven. Yeah. And they have this table, and it's got police tape around it, and machines are sitting on it, Macs. And... I kind of look at it and I ask the hiring manager, "What what's this about? Well, those are all infected with a virus, so we have to keep them separated. Like it's airborne. <laughs> I thought, wow, they they either they were, A, they really were. need me bad, or or B, they they really need me bad. I didn't get the job. Yeah, which, they were just processing for the, <laughs> the great pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was weird. Uh, yeah. it, it was one of those sites that you don't forget. You're just like, okay, I don't think you guys know how computers work. Um, speaking so, of video games a little bit. Well, did, well hang ahead. on a minute, because we, we didn't actually explain this story. Well, we okay. kind of went off on a tangent. So yep. Dark, Dark Souls um, they, uh, is, a, is a kind of hack and slash type um, beat-em-up series. Yep. Uh, and it turns out that the... <laughs> They had to take all the online servers down for the Windows PC version. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't affect Xbox or PlayStation consoles. Yeah, because um, it turned out there was a, a remote code execution exploit that was uh, built into that was built into the game. Um, effectively, there was a bug in the game that allowed um, hackers to take control of your computer uh, and then do all the bad things. Yeah. Um, and and this is what I'm saying about you know this, it's. It's this the first time I'm aware that that an online video game from a reputable company has turned out to be as potentially able to kill your computer or allow the bad guys in as something like Microsoft Office has. Yeah, it's Um, it's kind of crazy. I I can't. I I, want to say that this has happened before, but I really can't remember one that's been like this. So so here's the thing. I mean, you and I are older guys. We have. We have views which basically mean, oh, we can't be bothered with a lot of stuff anymore. Yeah. Right. And, and I think we're both on the page that we don't really understand why people bother with PC gaming. <laughs> because it's much more expensive. You've got to put a lot more effort in. The parts are harder to come by. Yeah, you, uh, you end up building a, a, a rig that then you've got to kind of tweak and trim and get uh, that to is perform the, the way though. you want. <laughs> well, that's, that's what people like doing. Um, and then it turns out you're exposing yourself to this sort of thing. And yeah, every shocker. time I, you know, and I, you know, I hang out on Reddit. There's plenty of people in the, like, the Microsoft Surface groups on Reddit going, oh, can I play the latest game on my 
on my Surface tablet. And you, you, every time I see one of those, I'm, I'm thinking, just buy an Xbox for God's yeah, sake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, and this to me is an, is an, another reason why I know that some people want 4K in the highest frame rates. Um, and uh, feel that even the latest consoles don't give them the performance they think they're looking for or they feel they need. Yeah, um, but you got to remember, though, David, when we were coming up, tweaking our computers was a big deal because they were all very much tweakable. You know, it, it was about upgrading what you've got, not necessarily yeah. buying new. I, it, I it was new technology, and, and everything was open. Everything yeah. was an open platform. But now they don't really have that. So all they can really, really do is just buy new hardware and slap it in there. That's really all I they un- can I do. understand all of that, but the, the difference back then is, is back when you and I were, were building PCs for gaming and things like that is that was was the only way to get the absolute best, something, well, some sometimes the best games um, because you couldn't get them on console. And secondly, the consoles were so far behind what a PC could do at the time. That you really were, you know, taking the cutting edge route and spending the extra money on a PC was giving you a gaming experience you couldn't get anywhere else. But that's not the case now. No. That's, that's where I really un- don't understand it, is that all of these games are available on console. And, um, you know, with a, with, a few, there are some, with a few exceptions, but the, one, the exception games, like the real-time strategy games and stuff like that, you don't need a high-end PC for. You don't need a cutting-edge gaming PC with a with a, a fast um, a graphics yeah, card. Yeah, all rigging. that is true, but I I still don't really begrudge them, and I do understand it. It's I, I'm not begrudging them. I'm just saying that I I think a lot of people get into that without realizing there are far simpler ways. Of oh doing no, it. I think they should, actually do know, yeah. but they want to be different. They want their own thing. Yeah. I understand that. Me, I'd rather be playing the actual games rather than playing with the system. But there you go. And. You know, yeah, but, never but get again, like you said, we're older and we just don't want to be bothered with that crap anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of gaming, I was kind of interested in this in, in the very, when it first was announced, uh, purely from a nostalgic standpoint, even though I didn't have one of these growing up. And television said that they're coming out with a new game console like four or five years ago called the Amico. Yeah. Amico? Yeah. Amico, yeah. And it was... Um, it hooked up to your TV. You download games. They said they were going to have a bunch of exclusives. And the controller itself almost kind of looks like an, an iPod. Yeah. It's got a little wheel on it and, you know, and it even has a little screen. Yeah. And so, it seemed pretty innovative, the idea, but it was just an idea. And, of course, they crowdfunded it. And everything seemed to be going good, although those in the know i.e., you know, anybody on Reddit, um, was throwing up a lot of red flags. They did the same thing with with Atari when they came out with their VCS, but Atari actually came out with it. It's for sale. You can buy it and download games yeah. and play it. Yeah, you um, did. Yeah, and, and you did that, and you found it wasn't I did. very good. No, it's not, <laughs> and, I, and I haven't touched it in probably yeah. two months now, but and, I and still I, like it. I mean... I think, I, I think that's one of the things I wanted to the reason i put this in here is is in light of your experiences because that atari console was it was also extremely late yeah um didn't really live up to the uh the presentation promises that were given when they first had the idea no uh, and actually kind of came across as a bit of a you know let's let's do it let's finish it any way we can and get it out the door because we're so over this project 
Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. I can't yeah. speak to that. I can say that the quality isn't quite there. Yeah. Um, but most times in these kind of projects, that's kind of to be expected. You don't usually get as great as they're making it out to be. Um, but that being said, they shipped their product. So yeah. kudos. I, they did it. They actually did it. They're selling games. I don't think it's going to be a long-lasting project, but yeah. they did it. I, I got to give them credit for that. Whether I like it or not, they did it. And it and it works pretty much the way they said it would. So, um, so in television, uh, the Intellivision Amico, so the original Intellivision, the, the nostalgia factor here is that the original Intellivision was... It was from Mattel, and it was a slightly different system. It yep. didn't. It had the controllers like this with a disc instead of mm-hmm. a joypad or a joystick, and it had controllers with numbers on, and it, it, that meant it could do certain types of games in a, in a different way than other systems. And I I, I, rem- I seem to remember that uh, television was really big on sports games. Yeah, huge. Um, yeah, and um, you know it was it was pretty well regarded back in the day. The, the company behind this thing, Amico, is not Mattel. Yeah, this is oh, no. Somebody, this is somebody who's bought the rights to the Intellivision name, yep. and they're trying to do a retro console that kind of harks back to the original Intellivision. The Which, in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily a bad idea. Yeah. Well, but the, it, the financial you know, management is the bad idea, because this, as you well, said... Well, that and the technology behind it, because the technology behind the Amico is about five-year-old cell phone quality. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. So um, this is this. It's five years ago. Is when? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, twenty eighteen was when this project was yep. first announced, and as you say, it was crowdfunded. Uh, there's been no sign of any working hardware, uh, and um, now they've turned around and said they need more money. Um, and and yeah. remember, that, remember the deal with crowdfunding is that is that the idea is is you pay your money. And your expectation is you get one of the first run of consoles when they're shipped. Yep. So now the moment, they need they need now five they need million more money. dollars. So their investors um, who've already put money up front have basically have lost that money, and they're now trying to find another five million. The initial release date was supposed to be October of twenty twenty. Yeah. Now there's been the pandemic and component shortages, and I think a lot of a lot of people are in the same boat. I know I. I crowdfunded the second. You remember I've talked about this before. The second run of the um, yeah. the Spectrum Club, yep. and and they've been very open about some of the difficulties they've had. They've had to change their FPGA platform because the one they were using is now is, is now being discontinued or is in very short supply. And you know they're talking about the costs involved, and and they're saying, well, you know we we had contingency for this, so we will swallow the costs. Um, and uh, we, you know, but but the, your your devices are going to be delayed. I don't expect to see it even. It was meant to be out, um, I think, by round about now. But I don't think we're going to see it this year, to be honest. Um, and that is kind of what you get into with with crowdfunding, and and um, you know that's a risk you you take. Unfortunately, the way a lot of these things are marketed is that many of the people think they're buying something. They don't realise that they're investing in something that has some risk associated with it. But I, I think the other problem is this project has been in trouble for a long time and they have not been transparent with their, um, air quotes, investors about what's been going on. And uh, let's face it, in t- today's market, um, when you're looking for another $5 million for uh, a vintage console that's going to have fairly limited penetration, I'd imagine, um, 
there's you, you start thinking, no, oh, yeah, that, that, that's, not, that's not going to happen, is it? No. What I what I don't understand with all of these, to be honest, is that, as I say, the the projects I'm invested in is FPGA, which means you have a you have a board that's programmable to to run whatever you want, yeah. And the advantage of that then is that, you, you know, the the board design effectively becomes software at that point providing you get the components that sit underneath it. All these other companies, Atari did this as well, they design a proper electronics board like it was back in the 80s. And then by the time they get it out, the thing's so out of date that um, it can't deliver on, on what they've said. Uh, and it really constrains them. And I don't understand in, in the days of you know, Raspberry Pis and all sorts of other modular computing platforms that, that are much more powerful than anything they had back in the day why people keep, keep building these dedicated circuit boards for these systems oh, it's cheap number one they really well, are not, well the cheap they may be but the, the five million dollars is what the guys need so it's not that cheap well no actually the five million dollars isn't um so a considerable estimation of 16.5 percent of the five million or eight hundred twenty-five will be dedicated to finishing games already processed, and thirteen percent, six hundred fifty thousand, will go towards de- uh, deposit payments in support of hardware manufacturing. So they're asking for five million dollars. Most of it's going to debt. Yeah. Um, according oh. to the company's long-term debt is up to seven point two million, and the short-term debt has reached one point two. Those numbers do not account for some of the dismal interest payments arrangements. And they stand in stark contrast in television's reported $429,000 in cash and cash equivalents, which is computers and desks and shit like that. Right. So they um, basically, they the money they had, instead of earmarking it for production, they fristed it away on other things. And Yeah, and that's the question, late, because the hardware it. isn't that complex. Software is software. That's, that's not very complex either. Um, where did all this money go? Yeah. Where did the... Uh, the only thing I can figure is the people that are working for the company at the top, of course, are bank. They they banked a lot of money. Yeah, that's the only thing I can guess. And and I think they've been, you know, living the C-suite executive lifestyle. Well, that's what I'm well. saying. You know, yeah, with with you know nice offices and a big staff. Yeah, this this product is never going to hit the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's kind not, of not unless somebody with very deep pockets comes in and just takes it all over, or finishes it, it and but bails yeah, but, it out. <laughs> The, the, I mean, as I said, Intellivision was well regarded. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's definitely one of the also rounds of the video game boom. Oh, 100%. It's not the PCS, no. Yeah? No. It doesn't, a lot of people of today's, unless they're old, old farts like you and me, probably won't, have never even heard of it. Yeah. Well, not only <laughs> that, but, you know, nostalgia will only take you so far. You yeah, know. but but you've got to have nostalgia. Also, trades on people remembering the thing you're nostalgic for. Yeah, so and you know this the C sixty four and the VCS and the spectrum right. of things that people remember. Well, let's yeah. let's pretend this thing actually came out and it's conservatively it's two hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, who's buying that <laughs> for two hundred fifty dollars? Yeah, it doesn't have any great games. We already know it's not going to because it's running on four-year-old mobile technology i mean well, who's who's spending 250 for 299 you can get an xbox series s yeah so nobody young is going to buy it nobody and anybody that's older that's really into retro gaming already has a raspberry pi or the atari or you know 
Steam, for God's sakes. I mean, this is kind of why I mentioned the FPGAs, because uh, sometimes people want to run as close as possible to the original hardware. And and you and I both know, because we're, we're nostalgia geeks who, who often buy these old systems, is they're getting hold of original hardware in good condition yeah. that still works, and then solving all the technical challenges and making it run on a modern display yep. is, is you know, it's like I was saying before with the PCs, that's heavy lifting. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of people can't be bothered with that. They just want the nostalgia hit of, of playing the old games. Yeah, so uh, here's and, your uh, option. Spend you know, 250 bucks for this thing, or... Here's an idea. You buy a kit with a Raspberry Pi, uh, the latest and greatest, a card, all the adapters, less than 100 bucks. Yeah. And then you just go to Arcade Punk's website and download... Download every single piece of software ever written for these. And it's already all assembled. You just burn it to a, a little SD card... Plug it in, turn it on, plug your Xbox 360 controller into it, and you're good to go. It's yeah. literally that easy. Yeah, It literally that, is. That That is the problem. And the hard part, really, is is getting something that will connect to a display and then getting a decent controller for it. Yep. And I think they should have focused on that well. and less on the... I mean, the, the problem is, is that writing new software for these older platforms or something that's compatible with these older platforms yeah, is... Um, you know, it's cute and all, but you're never going to get anything that's as, as impressive as a modern video game. Well, so no, the, but this the wasn't... that stuff is, is really, really limited. Oh, I agree with you, you but th- this was never designed to run old Intellivision software. Yeah, but that, that's exactly my point. It's going to run modern software. Yeah, which is going to yeah. suck because it's, it's because old it's, tech. And, it's old, that's exactly what I mean. And what, what developer is going to be like, oh, yeah, I want to... I want to you know what? I know that there's a hundred billion iPhone and Android users, but I'm not going to write for them. I, I like spend this Amico. Months, yeah, writing for this thing that that has the Amico. That's that's my road to riches right there. But yeah. we say that, and then we're both on a list to get a little handheld video game. You know, from yeah. um, what was that called? Uh, from uh, play the play date. From, yeah, the play date. Uh, yeah. we, we're both on that list. Yeah. You're going to get yours way before I will get mine, but still. We're both on that list. We both want it. And there's developers for it, obviously. Yeah, But, but I, I think I, the difference is it's something different and new. It's not trading on nostalgia like Intellivision and Atari are doing. No, it's no, definitely not. It's, it, in fact, it's, it's quite... It, they've gone out of their way to, to create an innovative platform. Yeah. But the difference with the play date, which is from um, what they called now. Yeah, Panic. Panic, yeah, is that Panic are software have been software developers for the last thirty five years, yeah, uh, originally for the Mac, yeah, and they know software development and they also know the software development community and they they let's be honest they're trading on their relationships in a very close knit software development community to get software built for their platform, um, and um, and then the platform itself they've they've taken some fairly uh, innovative ideas they're not basically saying let's let's take something that looks like a 40 year old console and modernize it so uh, it's a very different thing and and playdate has also been affected by delays and at this point we still don't know whether it's going to be successful yeah well you know let's move on um spotify i know we just talked about spotify not too long ago well a day after they we spoke we spoke about it then they 
So the the problem I have with Spotify, and, and I don't think we really nailed this point when we last talked about it, is that is that they have policies that are, that um, apply to the stuff on their platform, but they weren't applying those policies consistently to Joe Rogan. And after this blew up, they did, and they've taken some more of his stuff off. Um, and I think they've put him more into the same box that other people on their platform are, which is really what all you can ask for. We weren't we weren't calling for him, for, uh, for him to be pushed off the platform. We just wanted to make sure that you know he wasn't allowed to uh, operate on the on different rules than everybody else. Well, they went and bought two new companies. Yeah, that basically um, one of them kind of tracks ads. You can put tags in your podcast, and it tracks ads and. How many people listen to the ad? Did they listen to the whole thing? Did, what were the actions afterwards? Um, because Spotify wants to continue to buy um, smaller podcasting networks, if you will, or shows like Rogan's, and making them exclusive through the Spotify app. And, you know, from the outside looking in, I think people think, well, that's probably, you know, they're going to corner the market on podcasting. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, the, the whole point of podcasting is decentralization. You know, yes, you can get this show on Spotify, but you can also get it on Amazon. You can also get it on Apple. I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. Look, Spotify is trying to build a closed network, and they want, they want to have what they consider to be the best broadcasters in podcasting on the yeah. network to encourage people to stay in their in their walled garden and then they will monetize those people with adverts i don't have a problem with that neither it's, I. Not, it's not something i'm going to choose to do no what i the problem i have is that um is that you know people think that this is going to be the end of podcasting no. my 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 view is that you know you and you and i were were there right at the beginning yeah and this arose on podcasting kind of arose on its own out of nothing it was a, it was the RSS technology that allowed you to easily create something that allowed uh, a client to download a list of shows and then get automatically updated when a new one was posted. Correct. Yeah. Now that technology can't be um, disabled, so it, there's always going to be the possibility of having shows like this available. And if the if there's if the uh, all the big podcast tracking is only going through Spotify, then then these things will still exist outside of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that Spotify will ever get big enough to the point that they can dominate um, no, I agree. podcast advertising, which is how a lot of podcasters monetize their podcasts if yep. they want to make a living on it. You and I do this for fun. We do it voluntarily. Well, I did very- it for a living for a while, though, remember. Yeah. I, I was one of the very first podcasters that had advertising, and I'm not yeah. exa- exaggerating that at all. Podcasting was invented in 2004, and I had advertising playing good money in 2005. Guy Searle and I were at a Macworld Expo and we watched a roundtable of podcasters discussing how they could monetize. Is it possible to have ads? And Guy and I are looking at each other going, we're already doing this. What are they talking about? Yeah. Um, and I was a professional podcaster at one point. I was paid to record shows for a company. Um, now, is that the, you know, a, a corporate podcast? Is that the future podcasting? No. No, it can work if you do it the way I did it, but, um, and that show's still going on. Um, I'm just not doing it. (laughs) But But on the other hand, you know, what's his name? Nilay Patel. He is the editor in chief at The Verge. And um, John Gruber 
link to his tweet and I put it in the show notes because he wrote on Twitter, on the one hand, Spotify trying to monopolize the entire podcast industry through acquisitions. One of those things that regular should regulators should look at very closely. On the other hand, Apple and Google have done nothing at all to compete. Good point. I mean, at one point I remember being reached out to by Google and they wanted to include all the shows on my network. You know, so it was us, it was my Mac, um, Geekiest Show Ever was part of it. We had like, I don't know, eight shows at one point, and they wanted to include all of them. And all I had to do, if I wanted to be included, was to go to this website that they created, submit my shows, and they'll push it out to all their Android users. And I did it. And I saw some new listeners. And then what did Google do after that? Nothing. Nothing at all. Apple occasionally updates the, their stuff that you can do with their, but it, it's almost a, a, an also ran for Apple. They don't really care about podcasting. Well, yeah, that, that's the, I think that's the point. They, they're not interested in developing it. Mm-mm. They're happy to be the central directory. Um, and they still are uh, yeah. by far the number one when it comes to serving podcasts. Yeah. I don't th- but, the, but the point I'm trying to make is that is that podcasts worked before Apple got... I yeah. remember before Apple got interested in podcasts, before you could get podcasts through iTunes. And that's mm-hmm. why Apple ended up becoming the central directory. It was iTunes 4.7 that finally started yeah. using. And I know that they, because there's a news program of me on our, my Facebook page from way back in the day that I actually say that. Yeah, they, they added... <laughs> They added podcast support to iTunes. Yeah, uh, just a directory. Yeah, they basically just sucked in all the RSS feeds they could find and made them centrally searchable through iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, today I, I use a podcast client that uses that directory, but it, it's not tied to that directory. So Correct. if that directory went away, <clears throat> I could still manually enter all my podcasts using the uh, original URLs. Um, or, the, you know, you could. there are other people who have directories who do the same thing that iTunes does, not on the same scale, obviously. Google's one of them, but there are other people as well. The point is is that unless everybody starts only listening to podcasts in Spotify, Spotify can't dominate podcasts. Right. And and that's yeah. not going to happen. Well, I don't I don't think even if you even if you do pull in the biggest podcasts in the world, yeah, I don't think you're going to have people only listen to podcasts on Spotify because everybody listens to a whole load of different things. And the, the other problem is that there are other broadcasters who want a similar sort of thing. I listen to um, BBC podcasts and they announced for a, some of their shows a couple of weeks ago um, they do a Friday night comedy that's trans, that's transmitted on Radio 4. I've, I've attended a couple of their shows uh, for recordings and stuff like that before. They announced a couple of weeks ago that from next month if you want to listen to that at the time of recording, when it's transmitted on the radio as a podcast, you have to listen to it through their BBC Sounds app. You won't be able to get the podcast download for, an, for a, a non-BBC app uh, until 28 days after it's transmitted, which for a topical news show, like the Friday night comedy shows they do, uh, <laughs> means I won't be listening to them anymore because who wants to listen to a topical news show Nobody wants to listen to. Uh, well, nobody wants to watch last week tonight with John Oliver. Uh, six weeks after the stuff he's talking about happened, yeah. And this is the same sort of problem. So the BBC are, uh, and the BBC are doing that because they want people to be engaged with the BBC platform uh, and not be getting this stuff directly outside of that. Um, so 
other companies are going to try and copy the Spotify model, and you're going to end up with uh, with a, a dip, with a, a kind of a you know uh, what, what's the word? Everything's going to be spread everywhere, yep. and you're going to have to have uh, you are not going to be able to use one client because one client might not be able to get the shows you you want. I, I just I think, go ahead. I th- I, th- I was going to say I think most people who are in that situation, just in the same way that when Howard Stern went to XM, if you didn't have XM, you just didn't listen to Howard Stern anymore. And I think most people who do podcasts are going to have the same thing as if the show they like goes to Spotify and they have to go into the Spotify client to listen to it and then go out to a different client to listen to other things, they're going to make some choices about what they listen to. I just did a Google search for Tech Fan Podcast, and the first link, of course, is techfanpodcast.com. The second one is our Apple listing. Yeah. Right below that is Podcasts, and it shows Tech Fan 469, uh, 468, and there's a little slider. I keep going over and over till the end of time because that's on Google's website. It's yeah. reading the RSS feed. Underneath that, Audible. Yeah. Underneath that is Amazon Music. Yeah. Um, learnoutloud.com. I don't know what that is, but they've got our show. Yeah. Um, Facebook, Stitcher, Player.fm, ListenNotes.com. I mean, it, it doesn't even come up as Spotify is not even on here, and we are on Spotify. Yeah. So I'm not concerned about Spotify trying to. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Not, not the way things are structured at the moment. For sure. No, no. You know. Um, Podplay. So I've never heard of that, but we're yeah. on Podplay. And and I, one presumes that uh, as as Spotify kind of develops this process, you would not be able to search Spotify podcasts through Google. Yeah, because it's a closed platform. Yeah, exactly. So they would have to open up their API so you could at least search through Google and then find some way to actually link you through to a Spotify account or app to be able to listen to it. No, I, I no, that's not wrong. You're not. You're wrong. Um, I just did Tech Fan Podcast Spotify, and it says open.spotify.com. You you click that, and there's our latest shows, and they've got everything going way way down. I'm I'm in the three hundreds now. Yeah. Yeah, but if you do that. And uh, for for that to make that properly work, you'd have to have a Spotify account. To another great podcast. Oh, yeah. To make that pro- to 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 make all the advertising tech that they want to integrate that work, you'd have to have a Spotify account to be able to listen to that show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you click, and on I do link, wonder if the if they've got our show and they hit play and in the Spotify app, will it interrupt our show to put an ad in there? If they do, I don't care. I, I could care less. Well, a lot of people would care. Well, I'm sure they do. They're what, taking my content and they're monetizing it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's the secondary point about this. Is 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 that is that, is that their play, which is to actually well, I don't think legally they content. can do that. Well, you've got to know, and then you've got to fight them for it. That's that's the problem. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're going to do that because I think it would be really bad blood with a lot of podcasters themselves and that's the last thing that spotify really wants to do they don't want to tick off all the podcasters mm-hmm. so i don't know it's it's interesting i don't i'm i'm not i'm not staying at, up at night worrying about spotify because no. I, I could care less well, and yeah, if they're pushing I, I, our show we, out and they are good for them it's well, I, i'm sure there's people listening to this show on spotify right or on uh yeah spotify right now going yeah, it's on Spotify. Yeah. You guys, and, and let's face it, we said quite clearly: if Spotify wants to come to us and make us exclusive on Spotify and offers a check. Yeah. Well, that's that's the f- actual fear. 
if the yeah. very best stuff out there is exclusively on Spotify because they go and throw out a ton of money, it will work, but only temporarily because the cost of the barrier to enter podcasting is almost nil, right? Yeah. It doesn't cost you anything to host your files, or if it does, it's very little. The equipment, even the good stuff like we're using, yeah. is not expensive. No. No. Um, comparatively speaking, you, you bought a phone, you could have bought 10 of our rigs yeah. for the same price. So the cost of entry is nothing. Uh, the podcast listeners are finicky, i.e., uh, I would hazard a guess that maybe 10% of the listeners of the show has listened to every single freaking episode. Yeah. Some people that are listening to this, this is the first episode they've ever heard. Some people, it's the 400th episode they've ever heard. And they may never listen again, which I couldn't blame them, to be honest. (laughs) But, um, you know, they're very finicky. So when all of the content goes behind a walled garden, they're going to find something else to listen to and there's there's an endless supply of people who can do this riches, yeah, and, yeah. And it's not it's not static there are good new shows coming up all, all the, time. the time yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. The, this medium has expanded i don't want to say beyond what i thought it could be because actually it's it's exactly what i thought it could be and it's followed the traject the trajectory that i predicted way back in 2004 when i first learned about an enclosure and an RSS feed. I mean, look, I I made what Russ Walkovich likes to talk about the the beginning of podcasting. I made an audio file as an MP3 file, (laughs) which, by the way, that's where podcasting really started, was uh, audio that sounded good at a very small size. And I made an audio file in 1999 that I still have on my computer, and Russ... I think said Tim invents podcasting because he had a copy of this still because I had lost to the, you know, the histories of one of my computers dying and I lost a bunch of files. Russ sent this to me. I still have it. And the whole point wasn't RSS that didn't exist in 99. The whole point was a small audio file that you could download and listen to on your computer because there was no iPod. Yeah. There was no MP3 players. So that's where it started. The technology kept advancing people were making radio show like files how do i get these out to people on this new ipod thing rss feeds you can subscribe to what if there's an enclosure boom podcasting was invented so the technology is pretty much open right well yeah i mean even if you wanted a a, a spotify style experience i mean you could do that for our network today you just have sure. to get somebody to write an, an, an app. ios and a, and a google app yep. that um an android app that that basically allowed you to, with a small player in it that allowed you to play our shows directly off our feeds mm-hmm. and and nobody can control that correct um and so the 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 the, the real problem I have with the Spotify deal is not so much, you know, the risk to podcasting. It's still this mindset, which is the mindset that Facebook has, that Google has with their, um, you know, their, uh, what's it called, flock and topic and all this sort of thing. It's still this marketing mindset that the only way, the best way to leverage all this technology for advertising is to um, monitor everything your listeners or your users do 
to try and target them with ads. I think that fundamental concept is still flawed. And I think Spotify is spending a lot of money trying to, you know, in, insert that technology into what, what, they, what they want to be a closed podcast platform. When I, I think that technology has no value. It has such, such little value. Yeah. The people who should be advertising on this show, yeah, would be people who recognise, as we've had advertisers before, recognise because of what the show's content is, what the demographic of the people who listen to it are. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need tracking technology and privacy breaking stuff to realise that people who listen to a tech show are going to be interested in tech. Yeah. But That's the point why we is, had so many advertisers for a long time. <laughs> Well, we yeah, look. We, we had OWC exclusively for a very long time. We did, but before yeah. that, I had a lot of different. Back in the heyday of the MyMac podcast, when I was on it, Guy was on it, Chad Perry, you. We had a lot of contributors. We had other, you know, co-host. I don't want to call co-hosts, but people who had segments that we'd pop into the show. Yeah. We did interviews, and we had a lot of ads. We had contests that companies were giving away products through the podcast. Yeah. And the reason for that is exactly what you said. It doesn't take a genius to realize that, hey, we support the Mac platform. And this show, 100% of their listeners are in our demographic. Yeah. You know, as opposed to when you advertise on the Super Bowl, maybe 10% of the people that are watching are interested in your product. Maybe. Yeah, I but mean, then there's a reason that in this you look at the advertising across the Super Bowl, yeah, and there's a reason that most of those ads are for financial products, yep. beer, and cars. Yes, yeah, because that's broadly, the, because because broadly, the people, a lot of the people who who watch the ads in the Super Bowl like right. beer, they like buying cars, and they're interested in financial products because a lot of them uh, have money. Yep, yeah. And it's exactly the same thing if you're going to advertise on a show like this, that, hey, we've got a tech product. We think that the majority of their listeners are going to dig. Let's throw them some bucks and they can talk about it, you know, for the next three months on their show. We're going to see some more buyers. It could be that if you banged out the data, if you were able to collect data on all our listeners and processed it, banged through it, you would find that there is a a small subset of our listeners who are interested in buying, um, you know, uh, perhaps our, our newly expectant mothers and fathers right. will be interested in brands of diapers and and baby baby bottle warmers. Yeah, it could be that those people exist, but is it worth targeting? Because because the problem with a with an audio ad is everybody has to listen to it. Yeah, so <laughs> what you need to do is you need to hit the broad marks. Right, so that most of the audience is not turned off by the ad. Right. If you go for the targeting ad, and and what Spotify, of course, wants to do is they want to make sure that when you, person B, who specifically is an expectant mother or father, listens to Joe Rogan, they know that, so they can insert an ad just for you. Yep. Yeah, and then and why are they doing that? Because they think they can sell more ad dollars, more they get more ad advertising revenue by having those hyper-targeted ads. But the problem with advertising is always there's no guarantee that somebody you advertise to buys the product you advertise to. Correct. There's so much more to it and I think this is the the bit that the um, that the, the the tech people behind trying to monetize podcasting in this way and the Facebook guys and all that sort of thing miss is that by targeting ads at you doesn't, you know, there's no I don't think there's a lot really strong correlation between those ads and then the sales numbers for the products. No, because I think I agree. a lot of people are really turned off by targeted advertising. They hate yep. it. Yep. You know, they hate the fact that that they 
mention to their friend something about one of these uh, products uh, and then all of a sudden it gets spammed through their feed and I can imagine that'd be even worse yep. um, it's, bad, it's bad enough on Facebook when you get spammed for something you've already bought but if you constantly got the same two or three ads in your podcasts for, for a product you're not interested in because the algorithm's got it wrong that's going to be even worse Yep. A lot of people, I've, I've, got a, I've got questions over the last couple of years saying hey why don't you do ads anymore I've, I've had people reach out directly to me Hey, well, look, I, I notice you don't do advertising anymore. Yeah, I presume I, I've always presumed that the principal reason we don't do it is because either of us don't really have the time to go out. That's and exactly what. Yeah, I don't, I don't have time. I've told <laughs> yeah. people. I had one person reach out, and he seemed very serious about selling ads. And I said, dude, if you want to sell ads on the, on the show or in our network, you can keep fifty percent of the money. And yeah. they didn't do anything with it. They never, yeah. they never moved forward. And that offer still out there. You want to get ads? We'll do live reads. I don't care. And and don't get me wrong. If we were doing this more full time than we do at the moment, if, oh yeah, you know, if if we if 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 either of us were able to become independently wealthy enough to not have a day job, um, we I think we've both agreed that we would like to do more of this if we had if we didn't. But have to if we we're independently ad. wealthy, I don't give a shit about ads. Well, if you're independently wealthy enough that you don't need uh, to go out and work then this becomes the job then i think there's a conversation to be had about how much more effort we put into that because i think there is a there is a certain there is something there to our yeah. listeners, um and this i certainly would be interested in doing stuff where i was more directly involved with the products more like review ads rather than well look if if i hit the the 350 million dollar lotto yeah right um i would obviously quit my job would i quit podcasting resoundingly no i wouldn't quit podcasting because i like podcasting yeah i i'm one of the longest running podcasters on the entire planet yeah very there's maybe maybe a hundred people in the the entire world that's been podcasting longer than me seriously that's not an exaggeration so would i quit podcasting no would i do it full time Mm, i don't know about full time but i would probably do two to three shows a week yeah, and I would want to do them with you, which means you couldn't work, right? Yeah. So what I would have to do is send you, say, two million dollars to quit your job, and and now you're podcasting with me. But part of that job, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm paying you for is now you're in charge of getting the advertisers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, two million. I mean, I'd have to tighten my belt a bit, but I think we could manage. We could manage that a little bit. <laughs> I would just have to run it by Julie to make sure she's okay that I'm just sending two million dollars to. The, well, we, we, we would, but the, see, this is the thing, right? Because we're in fancy, fancy land now. But and if, if you're independently that's actually, wealthy, that's actually my long-term plan. Don't say fantasy. Yeah. yeah, but but if you're independently wealthy, right, then you can say to Julie, you know, all that po- all that craft stuff you do. Let's do podcasting about it. Let's do video shows about yeah. it. Yeah, you know, it's it it then becomes much more of a thing. And uh, I, I'm very strongly of the opinion that most people, if you give them an opportunity to talk about and demonstrate something they love to other people. Oh, a lot of people will do it. Once I, they get past the initial, oh, oh, I'm a bit scared I, of it. I, I've, I've got first-hand proof of that. Way back in the day with my Mac, we had a, a listener invite. Um, but beyond that, when we would do contests, you can go back and listen to some of the old shows. I would call people on the phone. Yeah, I remember. And it, it would turn into a 15-minute conversation. These people didn't know I was going to call. Yeah. And most of them would have said, I guarantee you, oh, I, I wouldn't be you know, interested in talking on the show. I don't have anything to say. That's what yeah. they always say. I don't have anything to say. But that's not true. 
I've never found anyone that doesn't have something to say and that's not interesting to listen to. And I proved it. Number one, I think I'm a very good interviewer. I think yeah. I'm really good at it. Um, I don't usually give myself a lot of kudos, but when it comes to interviews, I'm really good at them. I, I listen to what they're saying and I play off of their answers. But I never had anyone that won a contest on my Mac that came on the air. And this is me holding up a cell phone speaker yeah. to a microphone, okay? Um, <clears throat> that wasn't interesting. They were always interesting. We got a, I can't remember who now, we got a couple people, one at least, that became a somewhat, at the time, regular contributor because they won a contest. And I talked to them, I interviewed, and so what Mac are you using? Well, that's a five-minute conversation right now. Yeah. Hey, what was your first Mac? And and yeah. they're passionate about it. They're listening to a Mac show, so of course they're going to want to talk about the Mac. Well, it's, it's through listener invite that I, that I got talking to you. That's yeah. how we met. There you yeah. go. So... it's all your fault it's my fault um or i take the credit i'll say that (laughs) um here's the thing i I think that a show like that would be super interesting to do yeah just to have interviews with everyday people forget the celebrities those i've done celebrity interviews they're not generally very interesting because they're all usually um, media savvy. They're not going to say the wrong thing, and you're not yeah. really going to get their story. You know, you know what? That's interesting. You say that. I was watching a documentary last night about a British comedian, um, and it was the documentary was about a guy who used to have a talk show. A guy called Michael Parkinson was very big over here in the seventies, the eighties, and the nineties. He's retired now, and he was a great interviewer. And he would allow people to talk about what they wanted to talk about. He wasn't. He didn't do the kind of the celebrity puff and the promo right. stuff. Yeah, and they showed clips from the seventies and ha- them having this comedian guy on, and he's talking about politics and he's talking about the working classes and what it's like being an actor and yeah. all of these sorts of things. And he's giving his genuine opinions. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. This was a guy who was particularly. He loved talking, so it was particularly easy to draw that out of him. But the thing is, I, I remember saying to Leanne at the time, I said, oh, oh you, t- you don't see interviews like this anymore. No. Because everyone's there to plug their bit, and then they want to get off. And <laughs> that's, all the, that's all the hosts actually want. They don't, yeah. they don't, they're not a good interviewer. Barbara Walters was a great interviewer. Yeah. You know, and I, I understand the concepts and the practice of, of drawing people out and getting them to talk, yeah. it's not difficult for me. It is for some people, obviously. Yeah. But for me, I'm actually pretty good at getting people to yeah. talk. I always, thought, I always thought Letterman was good in that he would always do the promo bit because he knew that's In the old the days, he was good. Yeah. Yeah. And but but what he would do is he'd get the promo bit out of the way and then he'd try and engage his a lot of his people on Yeah, but he did it in else. a snarky manner. Uh, yeah. you know, it it worked for his show for the limited amount of time he would have someone on the air. But I'm talking about long form half hour hour interviews. Yeah. Those are yeah. the ones that to me are the fun. I did a lot of them for OWC radio, you know. I I did mm-hmm. The one that really brought it home that everybody is interested in, everyone has a story, is that I did an interview with the son of, he was a director, but he he was the son of the lady who played Edith Bunker on All in the Family. Yeah. And one of the things that I did anytime I interviewed somebody was after the show, 
I would send them a live link to the show. Here it is. It's live, which was usually a couple hours later. Um, hoping that they're going to promote, and they almost always did on their Twitter or Facebook or wherever. But I would always ask, thank you for coming on the show. Do you have anyone that you think I would enjoy interviewing? It doesn't have to be anybody famous or any, but someone that you know would be really good on my show because they just had a good experience. So many people would come on, they they were nervous and I don't know what to say. And I'd be like, just follow me. I don't have a list of questions. You're going to enjoy yourself, I promise. And they always did. Always, always, always did. And most of the people would give me someone else to, that's how I found the next person. So he gave me this person and I set it up and it was, he was the owner of this um, elephant store, basically, Emporium um, by, I don't know, it doesn't matter. On the surface, sounds like it'd be a terrible interview. It was awesome. It was amazing. So that's the kind of show that, you know, if we, if we didn't, if we were doing this full time, I would totally be down for. One of our shows would be an interview show. It'd be yep. fun. Um, last thing before we reach, we uh, wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Uh, two things. Uh, John Nimrovsky sent us feedback. And he says, I got a $50 million deal with Apple to co-host a show with Neil Young. Or I got Tim $50 million to co-host a show with Neil, Neil Young. He plays a song and Tim criticizes it. <laughs> or to critiques it. Um, <clears throat> that'd be too easy, John. That's too easy. Um, last thing. Just as a reminder that Elon Musk is a piece of crap. I don't understand why people worship at the feet of Elon Musk. I really don't. He is such a piece of garbage. He actually tweeted out. Um, it's it's Adolf Hitler. And it yeah, says, stop comparing me to Justin Trudeau. I had a budget. Ha, ha, ha. That's really funny. A Holocaust joke, Elon. Yeah. That's, man. I, yeah. I don't understand why anybody likes this guy. He, he calls it, he, th there's a rescue crew trying to rescue children, and he accuses one of them of being a pedophile. Yeah, and he lost that, by the way. Yeah, because I know he did. Surprisingly enough, the guy wasn't a pedophile. I, I don't know. know why anyone likes Elon Musk. He is a dick. He, he is. I think people like some of the things he does. Um, oh, I they, respect you know, I respect, respect SpaceX results, and Tesla. But the sure, guy's, the guy's really horrible. But horrible him person. as a, an actual person, he's a piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah. He's I a dickhead, and no, he'd be, he'd be the kind of guy that I would be happily to punch in the face because, yeah. honestly, Elon Musk deserves a really good hard punch right in the face. Well, you really get the impression that because he's um, so successful and has so many ideas that he manages to pull off. He thinks probably surrounded by a load of yes yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and got, he, he thinks he's untouchable. Telling him, yeah, he's got nobody telling him. Right, he thinks he's him. untouchable. Yeah. I would love to be able to show him that he is touchable and it would fucking hurt. I think he should pay for somebody like you or me to be with him all the time to basically just stop him from being a dick. I yeah, think it will make. I think it will make him a better person. I'd grab him by the scruff of the, the neck, time. put my finger yeah. right into his chest, and, and go, say, "Stop say, being say, a dick. Stop being such an asshole." <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Don't I really, do that. I really, I really don't like Elon Musk. I like some of his stuff, his companies and stuff. Yeah. He is a piece of garbage. And if you like Elon Musk, you're a piece of garbage. <laughs> Sorry, you can't. You can't like this guy 
with the things he does and says, you can't like him and not be a piece of shit yourself. You just can't. I think we, we all know in today's day and age that um, tribalism means that there are plenty of people who are perfectly capable of doing that. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, we're going to wrap up this show. We'd love to hear feedback from you guys. The show at techfanpodcast.com is the email address of the show at techfanpodcast.com. Techfanpodcast.com is our website. You can go and leave comments there. We're also on the mothership, mymac.com. And, of course, on Twitter and Facebook. David, as always, good to talk to you. See you next week for Geeks Pub. See you then.